It's time for Prepare to Care, AARP Texas podcast. Today, we're going to bring you free information, free resources, and tools to help support your role in caregiving. I am your host, Charlene Hunter-James. Thank you for joining us. A 2020 report revealed that half of the Asian American caregivers say the person they care for lives with them more common than non-Hispanic whites. Also, more Asian caregivers find their role highly more highly stressful and emotionally and emotional because so many of them um, are in a role that they had not prepared for. The anxiety level Asian caregivers feel has been magnified by the recent attacks on Asian Americans. Here to talk about these caregiver issues today and talk about AARP resources are Daphne Kwok, Vice President of Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with AARP. Also joining us is AARP Executive Council Member Beverly Gore. Ladies, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Daphne, let's start with you. When it comes to caregivers in the Asian American community, a majority say that they felt as if they had no choice in taking on this caregiving responsibility. What leads to this feeling among these caregivers? Thank you so much, Charlene, for having me join the AARP Texas team and Beverly today. Uh, When it comes to caregiving and uh, why Asian American Pacific Islanders feel this way, I would say it goes down to two words, filial piety. That is that we have the obligation to care for our elders. And so therefore we just feel that it is part of our life, part of our life cycle. Uh, And so it is not something that we feel is anything different from what is expected of Mm -hmm. us. So therefore it really goes down to filial piety. So who among the Asian American community does most of this work? I'd have to say it's the daughters. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, Daphne is totally correct that it is a cultural value within the Asian American Pacific Islander community to respect and care for your elders. And so it is something that we anticipate doing. Uh, they took care of us when we were little, and so it's now our privilege to take care of them as they age. But uh, I'd say in general, because I am a female, um, my mom tends to lean mostly on me and my sister, but my brothers do uh, provide some support as well. Also, uh, Beverly, wouldn't you also agree though to the first son, right? In our, especially Chinese families, right? It's always the first son has tremendous obligations. You know, the financial as well, too. But yes, the daughters are the ones caring. Yeah, yes. I I I would agree. And and I have to say, my brother has stepped up to the plate Mm -hmm. but uh, and offered to even take my mother into his home. But she's fiercely independent and prefers not to do that. But uh, I have to say, my brother and my sister-in-law, the oldest one, have been very um, encouraging and taking care of her. We know that caregivers face a lot of obstacles in this role. So are there uh, any uh, particular obstacles that maybe Asian American caregivers face as opposed to those by other individuals? Either one of you. 
Well, it definitely does, since she comes from the medical background. And then, uh, <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, speaking in general terms, um, I think one of the things about Asian households or many Asian households is that they are um, cross uh, cross cultural. Uh, the, the the parents, the elderly, are immigrants oftentimes, and the children, caregivers, are American born, okay. what we call Westernized. And so often there's a a language barrier and a cultural barrier, even though they're the same ethnicity. Uh, I think there's some expectations about what, um, how to take care of your parents when in, in Asia versus here in America. And um, so that creates not exactly tension, but maybe some misunderstandings about what is the best way to take care of your parents. So that's one of the things that I would say that is very maybe not unique to the Asian culture, but definitely impacts them. And to add on to what Beverly just said is, I think that also um, having uh, our parents uh, live with us in our homes, uh, especially for those that are non-English speaking, uh, as Beverly said, there is a language isolation, there's a cultural isolation, uh, and then also um, social isolation as well, too. But what's actually very interesting, what we've also heard, too, is that um, actually parents, uh, our elders, uh, actually would like, some, some of them would actually like to be able to live in senior communities uh, yes. and not necessarily in their children's homes mm -hmm. because it's, even, it's very isolating to be in their children's home, especially if they don't drive, if there's no public transportation around. So they really mm -hmm. truly are isolated at home. And that mm -hmm. for some people, they actually would like to live in a senior community where they can make friends or have friends and be able to socialize so much more. Beverly, you know, we, we've talked about this, you know, many times uh, in our past, um, uh, gatherings in terms of the need for senior citizen uh, centers and housing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. other um, opportunities to congregate so that there is, so it helps to minimize that social isolation. Um, even yes. the lack of perhaps um, social, not social media, but TV and radio stations that are in the appropriate language. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and and I yeah, uh, COVID has really uh, shined a light on the social isolation that many of our Asian seniors uh, have. Uh, fortunately, my mother lives four doors down, so I can visit her quite often. Mm -hmm. But uh, many that are, don't live so close to their children mm -hmm. or don't live with their children are, are totally alone. And it's uh, very hard for them, very, very um, almost depressing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, especially because the community centers, too, for the lo locales that actually do have Asian American community centers. Right. And, you know, you're very fortunate in Texas, especially Houston, very vibrant Asian American Pacific Islander community that you have a lot of these kind of community infrastructures. Mm -hmm. uh, but with under COVID, especially in this last year, uh, with not having the community centers as a place for the seniors to go to, mm -hmm. maybe I'll talk about it now, with the anti-Asian hate, with the uh, assaults against our elders, okay. there's tremendous fear in the community. So our elders are not even wanting to go outside now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more. You mentioned initially about the feeling and the obligations that, you know, families feel to it's just natural that you are expected to take care of your older relatives, your elders. And so with that, uh, we know that 
obligations and feelings of stress and sometimes even depression among caregivers um, is a part, a natural part of that caregiving role. So are there programs or how do you talk about that in families and certainly with the caregiver? You know, how does he or she uh, deal with that when he, when she is expected to perform that role? Um, I, I would say for myself, I'm glad that I have siblings because there comes times when I feel uh, pretty overwhelmed and, and, and I, I'm, I think one of those women you hear that uh, almost care too much, very empathetic. Mom, are you okay? Can I do this for you? Can I want to do everything for her, but I cannot. Sometimes I can't anticipate her need or I think this is a need and I'm wrong. And it can be frustrating sometimes. Uh, so my siblings are, are a good support for me. And then I have to say my mother uh, is a very faithful church member. And that's kind of a double-edged sword right now because she really loves going to church and her church fellowship. But now because of COVID, she's only been able to uh, go to her worship services online. But luckily she can use the phone and she's learned to FaceTime. So that's helped a little bit too. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the, the current issue about the attacks on Asian Americans throughout the country. Um, the stories continue. We've seen it, you know, on TV. And um, we know that the impact has been devastating. And as you say, creates a lot of fear uh, among the Asian American population. Um, we know that these attacks are not new. You know, that, it, you know, this has happened before. Um, but what do you think of, think is fueling the recent incidents? Anything in particular other than the whole environment now that many of us are facing regarding hate crimes, et cetera? Well, Charlene, as you mentioned, this is not new to the Asian American community. This has been going on for hundreds of years, ever since we first that foot uh, in this country. Uh, I would say that especially in the uh, last four years uh, and especially under COVID, you know, what is the root cause of it and why now? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we really have to look back to our national political leader, the, the previous president uh, and his words. Words matter, words matter a lot, especially when you have uh, a megaphone like the president of the United States. And when you call the COVID coronavirus 19, the Wuhan virus, the China virus, Kung flu, uh, and you sort of make light of it, you know, this is actually impacts not only Chinese Americans here in the United States, but all Asian Americans, mm -hmm. Pacific Islanders, because people can't tell us apart. They can't tell if we're Hmong, if we're Vietnamese, if we're Chinese. This, unfortunately, the hate against Asians uh, uh, impacts every one of us. Uh, and so uh, by uh, sort of normalizing the language that was used to describe the coronavirus. Uh, it was uh, horrendous. One of the other things was that uh, I often talk about, it was an election year, presidential election year. And for the AAPI community, uh, especially in presidential election years, I braced, and I know many of my friends and colleagues also braced during that election year because uh, this country is always looking for an enemy. It used to be Russia. Mm -hmm. It's always China or South Korea, Asia, Asia, Asia. 
And so you see here and see a lot of anti-Asian rhetoric, the xenophobia that's fomented during that time in order to win votes. Uh, and so it was a collision, especially in 2020, of a national presidential election along with the COVID-19 uh, virus. And that just compounds particular roles of caregivers who, you know, have to meet the needs of the care recipient by going out and doing things for them. So it, it really is a big um, issue. But what, what is the bigger issue in terms of what can we do and AARP is doing to address this issue? Um, certainly because it impacts so much of what we do, what we say, and the quality of life we live. Um, so what would you all suggest that we could do it to really help society in our own respective ways to really minimize these issues of hate, in particular the current situation with the Asian American community? Well, I know for myself, uh, like Daphne says, uh, I work in the health professions and have uh, been a, a pr provider, at least we created a community health center in Houston that provided for the cultural and linguistic needs of the Asian American community. But I, I think uh, what's been useful for me lately is when other people who are non-Asian have reached out to me, and that's meant so much to me, it's really warmed my heart. And one of my Hispanic colleagues in the Hispanic Health Coalition actually said, Beverly, is there a way that we can work together to with the African American Health Coalition to create dialogue, to create cross-cultural health events. So one of my things that I am really going to try to work on is addressing health disparities in a cross-cultural manner. Um, you know, doing having teams of health professionals who are of different ethnicities uh, go out to other communities so we can have positive role models of one another and, and create opportunities where we can get to know each other as people and not have these stereotypes um, kind of dominate the, the conversation that Asians are the perpetual foreigners, that we don't speak English, that we're not from here. There's uh, so many things that uh, create animosity. Uh, I think just knowing people as people, uh, as fellow Americans, I think really helps. Absolutely, I think the ed education, education, education. We're coming upon May, which is Asian Pacific American History Month. And so that's a tremendous opportunity for all of us, even us as Asian American Pacific Islanders, to learn more about uh, who really are AAPIs. And I think what's really important is that uh, we, and AARP is do working to do this, dispel the model minority myth that all Asian American Pacific Islanders are highly educated, highly resourced, uh, and don't need any uh, assistance and programming or benefits. So that whole model minority myth, we must continue to shatter. We must also work to shatter the perpetual foreigner. I know from Beverly, right? How many generation uh, Asian American are is your family? Well, let's see, my daughter and my grandkids, that gets us down to almost, I think, fifth generation. <laughs> So, so just taking Beverly's family as an example, mm -hmm. fifth generation Americans, you know, uh, are they're almost more American than many people here today who are recent immigrants. Uh, and so 
we must remember that not all Asian Americans are recent immigrants, that they have been here for generations and just as American. When people ask me that question, you know, I, I often say, and I'm actually very proud that actually I was born in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and if you want to talk about America, right, that's where America really was that's born. Right. So, that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. So we hope that people use the month of May to learn about the Asian American community. We also really want to point people to PBS last year came out mm -hmm. with the Asian American series. Fantastic. And actually, AARP, we were a, um, a foundational funder for that okay. uh, series. Mm -hmm. But to uh, and PBS is providing it free right now as a result of all the hate that's going on. So we would really encourage people to go and watch the PBS. It's five. It's a. Uh, it's ten hours. Uh, but boy, you know there are a lot of Asian American Pacific Islanders. To condense that down into about ten hours is very difficult. But boy, do you learn about the hate, violence, the Vincent Shin case, and all the issues that we would uh, address. And both of you have really stressed the importance of education. And it always doesn't have to be in a big audience, but just talking to friends of yours yes. who may not understand some things because there are so many myths, even with other ethnic groups as well. And it's not until you begin to interact with people that are different than you are, have conversations. And as you say, Beverly, go out and work with each other. Yes. Um, that people really began to see you as a person, a human being, and, mm -hmm. and that respect, you know, comes into play. So, yes. I mean, it's a tough conversation yes. that we all have to have if we're going to make progress. And I heard the other day a priest say that, uh, he used a term I had never heard, Yubani, Yubani, uh, it's from South Africa, and essentially it says, I am not okay if we're not okay. Just saying we're all a part of, you know, the, the um, society and the communities in which we live. So we all have to do our part. Listen, ladies, this has been a very uh, exciting and very formative and fruitful discussion. Are there any last words that you would like to share with our audience? I wanted to thank you, Charlene. Uh, not, not a lot of people know that Charlene and I have known each other, I think, 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so but we really do see each other yeah. as people, probably more than that. And, um, you know, I, I want to compliment Charlene in that she's a member of the Asian American Health Coalition. Mm -hmm. And she comes to our events and she hears about what's going on in our community and she, she supports us. And it is so, so wonderful to have those cross-cultural uh, relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell all my friends that, you know, I, I actually, hablo más español de chino. And I think that's a, another bridge builder too, learning that's each right. other's languages, mm -hmm. uh, sharing, sharing food together, <laughs> things like that. But I, I think this is a real opportunity for to us to reach across and to try to get to know one another better. I think that's exactly right. So I'd love to put out a challenge to everybody that in this year of 2021, can we each and every one of us that's listening to this uh, podcast, can we reach across the racial divide and uh, put ourselves out into a very uncomfortable position, go attend a church or go attend a conference or convention of another uh, race or ethnic or religious 
uh, denomination other than yourself, uh, go and just be part and learn of another community. And if each one of us can do that at least once, at least to one community, can you imagine how powerful that would be? I would agree. Well, thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Thank um, you, we have thank really you, enjoyed this discussion, and we will certainly have to do more of them. You know. Thank you for joining us as well to our audience. We encourage you to follow Prepare to Care podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud at www.aarp.org slash HoustonPTC. You can also catch past podcasts on YouTube channel or youtube.com slash C slash AARP Texas. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for caring.